Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Anthony J., author of the best-selling book, Estro Generation. And if you have consumed any of my Clovis content over the last two years, you know that I've basically been begging you to read the book Estro Generation for as long as I have been recording podcasts. It is seriously that important to me, and I want to spread the message of this book that badly. I basically scream this thing from the rooftops, so I am just extremely excited that I was actually able to snag Dr. Anthony J. For the podcast, and this was an amazing conversation, and he just could not have been a cooler dude to sit down and chat with about, you know, really serious topics, but you'll see we kind of have fun with it and do quite a bit of laughing and just really kind of expose the lunacy that is nutrition, research, mainstream, medical culture in America. It's just the episode kind of has to speak for itself here. I'm not going to do it any justice with this intro, but I will tell you that there is just a ton of value here. We go deep. We really nerd out on cholesterol for a little while. We talk about obviously estrogenics and the chemicals and toxins that Anthony talks about in his book. We talk about soy. We talk about plant-based diets. We talk about hormones and some scary statistics surrounding puberty. We dig into DNA and genetics and epigenetics and the idea of transgenerational epigenetics, meaning passing things down to the next generation. It's just a super interesting deep dive. And of course, we give you some ideas and concepts on how to avoid the downfalls of all these scary estrogenic compounds and what you can do to improve the health of yourself and your family. Once you finish the episode, you can check out all the show notes at clovis.show slash Dr. J. That's D-R-J-A-Y. Clovis.show slash Dr. J. You can connect with Dr. Anthony J on Instagram at Anthony GJ. Anthony GJ on Instagram. You can also check out AJ Consulting Company, his website. You can buy Estro Generation on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And I will share all of this with you again in the show notes, clovis.show slash Dr. J. Before we begin, I just want to share Anthony J's bio with you. Dr. Anthony J, PhD, is the president and CEO of AJ Consulting Company. Dr. J earned a BA with a double major in biology and theology from Ave Maria University in Naples, Florida, where he researched HIV. After college, he continued to work with viruses in the context of Alzheimer's disease for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Next, Dr. J earned his Ph.D. in biochemistry from Boston University School of Medicine, researching fats, hormones, and cholesterol. Dr. J currently is at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, researching stem cells, epigenetics, and infrared light. In addition to leading AJ Consulting Company, Dr. J is a best-selling author of Estro Generation. Long story short, Dr. Anthony J is a complete badass, and I am stunned that he took the time to come on the Clovis Culture Podcast, and I could not be happier to share this conversation with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Each and every review counts. It really, really helps, and it truly means the world to me. Thank you. As always, this episode is brought to you by Clovis. I am the founder and CEO of Clovis, and I am in the business of changing people's lives for the better. I am a certified nutritional therapist, and I have helped over 1,000 people just like you transform their health and wellness. And I want to work 
with you. To prove it, I'm going to give you a free seven-day trial, which will give you full-blown access to all of the exclusive members-only content that Clovis has to offer. Just visit IamClovis.com slash start. I-A-M-C-L-O-V-I-S dot com slash start start. You will find videos of yours truly, and you will find some incredible transformation stories from real-life Clovis clients. You will be shocked by the incredible stories that these brave individuals have to tell, stories of full-blown life transformation. 50 pounds in 8 weeks, 40 pounds in 60 days, 19 pounds in 21 days, 100 pounds in 6 months, you name it, I have a client who has done it. And you can too. Check out IamClovis.com slash start and get started with your free trial today. If you'd like to check out my physical products, I just want to let you know that if you go to IamClovis.com right now, I-A-M-C-L-O-V-I-S.com you can get bags of select formulas of the Perfect Paleo Powder for just $30 a bag, which is absolutely insane. This is the lowest price in the history of Clovis, the lowest price I have ever offered on the Perfect Paleo Powder. And once these bags sell out, they are gone forever. I want to repeat that. These products will not be manufactured again. Once they sell out, they are gone forever. So if you love these formulas, if you love Digest and Rest, the pre-workout formula, the post-workout formula, if you really love these formulas, you need to get your hands on as many bags as you possibly can right now because once they sell out, they are gone for good. I highly suggest that you go ahead and stockpile the formulas that you love. The sealed bags can hang out in your pantry for as long as you need them to, and there is no limit on how many bags you can buy. You can literally just get on there and buy to your heart's content Also, there is no coupon code, there's no special instructions, no nothing. By the time you hear this, the prices will already be changed and updated on the I Am Clovis website. So head over to IamClovis.com and get your hands on $30 bags of the Perfect Paleo Powder right now before everybody else does because once they sell out, they're gone for good. That's it. All right, let's get on with the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast, and I am ridiculously excited about today's guest. If you have ever consumed any of my content or my Ask Me Anything episodes, you know that I am a huge fan of a book called Estro Generation, which exposed me to just an area of human health that I really didn't even know existed. And today, I am here with the author of Estro Generation, Dr. Anthony J. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure thing, man. Rod Wolf connected us, just for the listeners, and I'm a fan of Rob Wolf, and I've been on his show, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that we've connected. Yeah, I was super excited, man, because I love the book. I've been talking about the book forever. I've done a couple different episodes on like toxic products in the home and everything. And when you were on Rob's show, I was like, yes, I have an in. <laughs> I can talk to him. Like, I got to call him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just want to start by by just letting people know that I really think. Today's topic, what we're going to talk about is, is one of like, when I first read the book, I mean, just cover to cover, I was blown away. I'm like, this has got to be one of the most undervalued pieces of what I would call like low hanging fruit for just drastically improving your health and wellness. Like even your most aggressive plan at the end of your book, I think is, is totally within reach for most people. Right. So let's, let's start there. Let's just, let's just assume that nobody has read your book and just 
kind of walk people through like what is an estrogenic and why did you feel compelled to write an entire book about it? Yeah, well, nobody has. Like you said, I mean, it's it's crazy that there's there's all this information in the scientific research. And I mean, these these chemicals that I write about, you know, they're called endocrine disruptors. And the specific class that I focus on are estrogenic ones, ones that disrupt your estrogen, your testosterone, your sex hormones. Um, and they're pervasive, man. I mean, they're everywhere. And I've got kids, you know, I don't want to expose my kids. So to be honest, the initial push for me was to understand where these chemicals are just so I can avoid them. And then I realized like there's so many and they're so pervasive. Like I got to put together a book because nobody else had. And scientists, when they do research, they become experts on just BPA, right? Which is one of these estrogen chemicals or just phthalates, which is another one of these estrogen chemicals or whatever, like go down my top 10 list. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then that's all they talk about. That's all they focus on. And they can convince you like BPA is really bad. And it definitely is. And thankfully BPA is well studied. So it's really easy to convince people that BPA is a problem because it's thoroughly studied. Some of these aren't so thoroughly studied and it's harder, but it, you know, the writing starts to come out on the wall more and more clear as more and more studies get done. But you know, the point is nobody had compiled a top 10 list, so to speak, or a top 12 or whatever, Mm. just of these chemicals that are disrupting our hormones. And I mean, I think they're a bigger problem. You know, a lot of these, there's a lot of chemicals out there that cause cancer or increase your risk for cancer. And that's a problem, obviously. Sure. Um, But these artificial estrogens, the big problem that I uncovered was they mess up your epigenetics. Right. And most people don't even know what that is, but if you're a scientist and you know what that is, that's a freaky, scary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you start looking at epigenetics and it's, you can be, because the point is with epigenetics, if you mess up your epigenetics, you pass that on to future generations. Yeah. And so there's a huge impact there because yeah, you're messing up your own health. I mean, I had somebody last week or maybe two weeks ago now, they literally doubled their testosterone by simply getting rid of these estrogen chemicals from their household. Wow. Like it doubled it in a period of maybe like six weeks. He sent me this long email. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's my numbers. Here's the lab tests. It's amazing. Wow. And I, you know, it's pretty common for me to get stuff like that because that's a real thing, but you don't even see the impacts on your kids, you know, because, right. oh, they're happy, they're healthy, they're great, thankfully, right? There was no yeah. issues, and that's what you want. But a lot of people aren't experiencing that. They're experiencing infertility. They're experiencing, uh, you know, the next generation is getting infertile, whatever. These things are getting passed on, obesity. Yeah, so it's, yeah. So it's a huge problem. Man, it was huge, too. I mean, you talk a lot about even something that seems not so scary and very, very common, like uh, ADHD or hyperactivity in kids with these red eyes and things like that, you know? The concept of transgenerational, this epigenetic thing that you talk about is is staggering. And that's that's what's crazy about the book. It's like, one, I I reread the whole book in preparation for this interview, not that I needed an excuse. Like, I love the book, but I forgot how funny it is. Like you have like the uh, yeah. like Johnny IP freely in the public swimming pool and stuff. Like right, right, right. Yeah. Whole, I forget too. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I get, I get torn. Cause like, it's, it's actually, it's a strangely fun book to read, but it's also like scare the holy shit out of you. It's just like yeah. everywhere you turn is like absolutely toxic. So, I mean, do you, right. Do you have an optimistic outlook on all of this or or do you think it's getting worse as we go? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic because people have been, my book has actually been accelerating in sales over the last year or two, you know, it's, it's, it's actually picked up, which has been really good. Beautiful. So I think people are getting it. And then a lot of people are talking about it like yourself. And then there's a lot of other people that have never even read the book, but they're hearing you, you talk about it. And then they're referencing that and it's just spreading like that, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, but the caveat being there's a, there's an interesting scientist named Michael Skinner like S-K-I-N-N-E-R, he does epigenetic research. He grows literally about 5,000 mice at any given time. I mean, just a huge lab. He's out in Washington, and I've talked to him. I had lunch with him here at the Mayo Clinic, and I've just generally you know, kept up talking to him. Mm-hmm. And he is super pessimistic. I mean, he thinks we're screwed. <laughs> Like, wow. Yeah. Because of all these chemicals, the exact same ones that I talk about, he does active research on atrazine, which is a herbicide Mm -hmm. that's illegal in Europe, by the way. And it's the second most used herbicide in North America. Yeah. Um, He actively researches some of these other estrogen chemicals, of course, BPA. And like I said, he literally just completely pessimistic. He thinks as a species, we're... We're just going to bottleneck ourselves down to a few rednecks out in the country, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And, and But the funny thing about it is, you know, after having lunch with him, he's so pessimistic. That, and But then he, he bought, like he said, his daughter is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got her a $5,000 whole house water filter. Yep. So he's like actively trying to do something about it, even though he thinks we're all done for Right, which right. is interesting, you know, and I don't even think you have to go off. Like my whole house water filter was like maybe five hundred bucks, and I did the plumbing myself. So you don't, I don't think you wow. have to go that crazy extreme. And and then there's other little things that are a lot easier, you know, like just changing over your personal care products, which I'm sure you talk about all the time. Yep. And you know some of the other stuff like storing your water in plastic, and mm-hmm. you know, like those little changes, I think, you know, are a lot more within reach they're they're readily available for people yeah so i'm not so pessimistic i think i think it's you know like i said if the word keeps spreading i think it's it's hopefully going to change the culture i think we have to change the laws i really do Mm. europe has i mean michael skinner is the perfect example because he gave a talk in europe about this fungicide chemical they spray on foods in America, and they used to do it over in Europe. Two weeks after he gave this talk in Europe, they literally outlawed that chemical because they were like, holy shit, this is getting past the future generations. Like he does epigenetic studies. And they were so astonished by how strong the research was, they outlawed it two weeks mm-hmm. later. And that, that talk he gave was like years ago. We still use that, that chemical in North America. Yeah. So it just shows you how pathetic our system is in terms of like where the money, you know, how the money influences the politics behind the scenes and how stuff doesn't get done because these corporations effectively run the country in certain ways. And yeah, that's one of the ways that's harming our country until there's some kind of a tipping point And it's just so obvious. And hopefully we get there soon. Yeah, it's it's so hard too because I mean, like you know, Rob's a good buddy, and 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 both him and I know are more on kind of the libertarian spectrum in terms of politics and everything. Right. So you you get so torn because I'm at a point now where I fundamentally understand that the way things are going in America, we're going to need regulation and oversight if we want to fix like what we're doing to the environment. And another thing I wanted to ask you about, just on a personal level with nutrition and everything, obviously nutrition's like my game. That's like the number one thing that I'm into. Number one thing, I don't know if Rob told you, but uh, my company Clovis is one of the primary funders of his sacred cow project with Diana Rogers mm-hmm. for regenerative agriculture and all that. 
So nice. we're trying to spread the word, but that's another question I have for you is just how do you feel about the, the political climate is so scary right now because we have like, obviously this new red meat study comes out, this new grading system mm, and people yeah. freak out and then people are pushing against that. But at the same time, there's pockets of people that are still like pro eat Lancet dietary guidelines. And then <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger releases yeah. the game changers, vegan documentary and like, Oh my gosh. Uh, so many people. So, I mean, where, where do you think that's going, you know, public, public opinion wise? Yeah, there's, a, well, there's a huge push for this, this vegan idea, which is really not based in science, unfortunately. It's right. weird too. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost hilarious. A couple of years ago, you probably remember when the American Heart Association president came out and said coconut oil is bad, like avoid yeah. coconut oil. And the next day I did a live stream podcast with somebody, basically he wanted me to jump on and say, look, tell us about this. Right. And I, mm-hmm. and I said, like, this is a complete joke. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. this idea that saturated fat is bad for you. First of all, just that idea alone is kind of ridiculous. Right. If you really, if you really get into the science, the only thing they have going against it is it increases LDL. Mm-hmm. And so they're just assuming that increasing LDL is always bad, which is a ridiculous assumption. Right. Um, but to lump coconut oil in with all the other saturated fats is also kind of absurd because it's these medium chain triglycerides. Mm-hmm. So like I basically went through all that and like we had this big discussion. So coconut oil is generally, it's, it's outright healthy for you. <laughs> right. And the super irony there was the American Heart Association president, literally like a couple months after he published that paper that was so influential uh, and such a blockbuster paper that everybody's citing all the time. He died of a heart attack. Whoa. He's not healthy at all. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of an obese, skinny, fat kind of guy. And like, I'm a member of the American Heart Association, unfortunately, because I have to be, because when you publish papers in these fields that I do, yeah, it force you to become a member and they own a lot of the journals. And, you know, so it'll be called like the American diabetes, you know, they have like these spinoff journals, but they're all ran by the same association. So you have to be a member of those associations. Wow. And it's paid for by government grants, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic because, you know, those organi- those organizations are also propped up by government grants. So they're kind of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're getting money from a couple different directions. And the whole thing is a little bit shady more than a little bit sometimes, but yeah, but yeah, the point is like, you, you know, you have to kind of cut through a lot of the politics and the BS and yeah. really find out what's going on. And, and that's hard to do, but at the end of the day, it's worth doing and it's worth following important, like trustworthy people, not just some political messaging, you know, by people that don't really know what they're talking about. Like that UN 12 year old girl or whatever she was <laughs> like, just screaming a bunch of emotional stuff. Right. Like you, you have to find people that are actually healthy, you know, or at least trying to be healthy and, and really open about, you know, like digging into the research and talking to different people. And I don't know, it, it's a mess out there, as you know, mm. but I think the government guideline, the shift towards veganism is purely political. It's not based on actual science or real health. Yeah, man, I, I agree completely. And it's, it's so interesting too, because it's not difficult. Like you said, like the fact checking today in 2019, like, you know, for good or for bad, we have access to a boatload of information. Right. And it's like, you can just Google like eat Lancet funding. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same exact companies that were behind the food pyramid, like in 1991 mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, it's literally the same thing, just repeating itself. It's like when the government went from the food pyramid to my plate, like this is the same thing with a different picture. 
they just keep yeah. doing it over and over and over. Actually, yeah. I, I didn't even plan to go here, but I forgot in your book, you went pretty deep into, um, and if you can explain this to people, it would be, would be pretty cool. Um, you're saying like how the study gets done. If you submit for a paper, you get to pick the people that review the paper yeah. and they're your friends. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that when just now, um, I did a whole chapter in my book about scientific bias and corporate influence and spin. And I thought yeah. they were going to pull the plug. Like I thought my editors were going to actually take that chapter out because it's not really about estrogen chemicals. <laughs> right. But I was kind of like, well, I can't help it because soy is such a messy one. Soy is the big reason I wrote that chapter because as soon as you say soy is bad, mm-hmm. then suddenly everybody starts attacking and says, well, what about this study? What about that study? And then I have to come back and say, well, what about this study? What about that study? And it's kind of a circle of like everybody throwing studies around. Yeah. And because you can go either way, like there's a review paper that says soy decreases breast cancer. And then like in the same sentence, it says it also increases breast cancer risk. You know, like (laughs) it's like, it's because there's studies that go either direction. Yeah. Depending on how you kind of come up with the studies and what your conclusions are based on those studies and some of the manipulation of the research. And so it's a huge, it's, it's, there's so much money in that area that it's hard to cut through that. So anyway, I wrote that chapter and that most of my editors said that was their favorite chapter Yeah, yeah. (laughs) because, you know, it's, it's stuff people don't know. People don't realize when you submit a scientific peer-reviewed paper to get reviewed by peer reviewers, you mm-hmm. pick the reviewers. You tell the journal who to, who should review your paper. So you pick your buddies. They're all PhD credentialed buddies, and you go to scientific conferences around the world literally to communicate with these people and make sure they're on your team and all this kind of stuff. Wow. So there's a lot of groupthink that's generated from this, and it's government-funded, of course, because these conferences are all paid for. Yeah. Um, and so that's an issue. There's no confidentiality. Like when you write grants to try and get funding to keep your lab alive and, and, and your career alive as a scientist, your name is right on the top and everybody pays a huge amount of attention and heed to that. So if you disagree with some of the mainstream thought, you know, and you want to study something, you, you can set up a perfectly amazing study. It can just be bulletproof. But if you've got you know, a reputation or something, or if you don't have a reputation, right. As, as being a player and like, whatever, just, they'll look at the name and they'll basically just put it on the bottom of the stack, you know, only 10% or less of the grants get funded these days. Wow. We literally need a grant every few years to keep a lab alive. So you can literally just basically be, you know, be squeezed out of research if you don't kind of play along. So there's a lot of pressure, peer pressure. Um, That's crazy, man. Yeah. In certain areas. Right. And and the cardiovascular world is, is one of the worst, like with the LDL and all that crap. Mm -hmm. I did my PhD on cholesterol and and hormones and all this stuff. Beautiful. It's, it's crazy. Like as soon as you uncork the LDL stuff, it's, it's a nightmare of, of bias and spin and, and ridiculous yeah. epidemiology. Like these population-based studies are a joke for the most part. Right. And you see that with veganism too, you know, like basically a lot, most of the people that are vegans are trying to be healthy, right? And they're not sure, eating sure. standard American fast food. So if you compare that group compared to fast food eaters, yeah, you're going to find health benefits in a lot of different categories, maybe not all the categories, but right. Like, so these studies are kind of twisted in a way that's not optimized, you know, so they can be, they, they draw all these crazy conclusions and it's, it's a mess, man. When you start doing these human studies, frankly, and as you know, yeah. 
Now, are, are you familiar with, uh, this is a total rabbit hole we're going down now, but I, I asked because I just interviewed Dr. Ken Berry yesterday, who's mm-hmm. very much kind of on the carnivore side of things. Uh, another good friend of mine that's been on the podcast is Dr. Paul Saladino. Mm-hmm. And uh, Saladino introduced me to Dave Feldman's work. And yep. I am, I fall squarely, like I would be the poster boy for a lean mass hyper responder. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I got to admit, man, even knowing what I know about biochemistry, knowing that my, my um, inflammation markers are below reference range, I have zero inflammation in my whole body, but my yeah. LDLP is sky high. There's mm-hmm. part of me that like, even I get nervous because the mainstream is so stuck on like, oh, your LDLP is 3,500. That's above reference range. Like you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> so, like I still get freaked out by it. So how do you feel about the kind of lean mass hyper responder thing? Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've talked to Feldman. I talked to him for a couple hours one time. Actually, I was one of the people that kind of broke his story way back. I discovered him before he was even famous and before anybody else knew about him. Wow. Um yeah, I did like a YouTube chat with him one time and I have it on my channel, like Chagrin and Tonic channel, just like the name of my book, you know, the, the, the series that I want to have. Uh, you know, anyways, um, yeah, like the cholesterol thing, you know, cholesterol isn't the problem, right? Right. In terms of atherosclerosis, plaque in your arteries, mm-hmm. the problem is inflammation, as you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of scientists don't know that they don't seem to get it. And there's no question. I mean, there's just no freaking question. Um, so where it gets dicey is if you've got a genetic issue and your cholesterol is like sky high, mm-hmm. the cholesterol, if, if you're not clearing cholesterol out of your body, which some people have, it's called familial hypercholesterolemia. Right. And there's a few genes you can check and make sure you don't have that, that issue, which of course I do through AJ consulting company. Mm-hmm. But if that cholesterol, the problem is if the cholesterol stays in your body a long enough time, um, which happens with people that are eating fast food and not exercising. Usually those are, those are the main candidates. Then the cholesterol itself gets oxidized. It reacts with oxygen mm-hmm. and then it becomes inflammatory. Sure. So cholesterol itself can be a form of inflammation if it's high enough or if it's just staying in your body a long enough time. Right? So, so is so, that the marker of oxidized LDL? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you can look up oxidized. You can measure oxidized LDL. Exactly. Most people don't. Most doctors don't. Um, okay. Have you ever checked yours? Uh, I don't know that I have. Paul may have, because I, I did blood work with Paul, so I'd have to go back and take a look at that. But yeah, I've never even checked mine to be honest. But I mean, we do it in research labs. I used to. I've published peer-reviewed journal papers with oxidized LDL. Okay. Um, but yeah, nobody checks it, unfortunately, right? But I, don't, I mean, for the most part, it's not going to be oxidized. And there's different forms of oxidation. You know, like sometimes it's the cholesterol. So cholesterol, like LDL, is a bilayer right? It's like a ball, like a soccer ball. Okay. Right. Like the reason you have LDL is because cholesterol floats on water, right? Just like butter. Like if you put butter in water, it floats. Um, and your blood is like water. So you can't get cholesterol around your blood. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to put it in this ball that's wrapped around with these proteins like APOA, APOC, APOB, APO proteins. Sure. Um, ApoE, right, to get up in your brain. Yep. Um, so cholesterol is super important for your brain. It's super important for all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's wrapped around these proteins. It's this complicated thing. So it's not like, you know, so measuring oxidized LDL, even that's kind of an art and there's different ways to do it because there's different things on that, that soccer ball that can get oxidized. It's not like there's just one thing. It's not just cholesterol. It's got protein. It's got phospholipids. It's got cholesterol esters. It's got cholesterol. It's got free fatty acids. It's got all this stuff. Yeah. And so 
all of those things can get oxidized and they have different effects when they're oxidized. And <laughs> you can see wow. it's kind of a nightmare. So most labs don't even measure it, but most of the other markers are more important, like CRP and all those other things, right? You know, like interleukins, interferons, TNF alpha, yep. uh, NF kappa beta, I guess, like some of these other things, again, which aren't even being focused on, they're not being talked about, they're not being measured, except sometimes in research studies. And then when they do measure them, they realize, oh, that's the really important stuff that's actually causing plaque. Yeah. So, again, you know, usually it's people that aren't exercising that have high LDL. Right. And they're eating a bunch of oxidized fats to begin with, which are like soybean oils and canola oil, all the seed oils, which are already oxidized to begin with. And then when your body packages those up as little LDL balls, of course it's oxidized because they were oxidized to start with. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, if you start right. with crap, you're going to get crap at the end. Yeah. So that's usually the problem. It's not it's not people that are eating healthy with high LDL. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm like, I'm feeling so selfish right now because I'm like, I, I want to do this episode for the listeners, but like, <laughs> I could go down this rabbit hole forever because it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I went to one of the first guys I worked with was Dr. William Cromwell, who actually Rob Wolf introduced me to as well. And he thought mm. that I was FH. He's like, I think you may be FH. My dad went out there, us together, mm. we're like exactly the same. Our numbers are exactly the same. Like my total cholesterol is like 545. My LDLP is over 3,500. And then I experimented with carnivore a little bit, but through genetics testing, I know that I have a homozygous gene, a SNP for um, hemochromatosis, my iron mm. levels to the roof. So I'm like, oh, there's some geez. a little bit of wonkiness here where I'm like, man, I think I need AJ consulting. <laughs> yeah, you should do your DNA. Well, you should do your DNA, but yeah, have you, do you donate blood then? I would worry about the iron for sure. Yeah, I need to donate blood. I haven't. It's been a little bit tricky in the past just because in the last several years, like I have tattoos and they make you wait like over a hmm. year or something after you get a tattoo done to so uh -huh. I actually, I actually couldn't donate blood for quite some time, but I can now I'm past the threshold. So, um, yeah, I definitely yeah. probably at least quarterly at this point. Yeah. You should read some of the Joseph Mercola stuff on iron. He does a really good job of like telling people what the optimal ranges are and what the different blood tests, like there's transferrin and or transferritin and there's ferritin and there's GST yeah. and there's all these different, and he does a good job of saying, okay, here's what the, the health recommend. It's like vitamin D, right? It's like, here's right. what the average American is. And here's what they'll tell you is normal. But in reality, here's what's optimal, right? Yeah. yeah. Two different things. So Absolutely. it's like, you might not be getting flagged by the doctor, but yeah, iron is is oxidative, right? It's just like on iron, like pipes get rusty, right? Like it re because they react with the iron reacts with oxygen. Red blood cells are in your body carrying oxygen around. So if you've got high iron, it'll react with the oxygen and cause damage to your arteries. It's the same concept. So that damage is a form of inflammation, which is the root cause of plaque. Right. So that would be more concerning to me than even the LDL. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but so that that inflammation wouldn't show up on typical like a C-reactive protein or homocysteine no. or something. No, no. Oh, I see, I see. So that's definitely worth checking into. Yeah, yeah. Lower your iron for sure. Um, okay. At, at least if it's high, right? If it's high on the medical ranges, then it's definitely high. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's, those are already a little bit. Those are all are already a little bit too general. Just like testosterone, it's like two fifty to a thousand. It's like, well, what the <laughs> hell does that mean? Yeah. Like that's not really optimized, you know, to be in that range somewhere and that range isn't really ideal. Like, right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. All right. We, we could dig on that forever. But so I, I do want to get back to uh, the topic at hand when we were talking about politics and everything. I want people to really understand this soy piece because, again, we're talking about these vegan documentaries and everything. Now we have the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger, like the number one ingredient is soy protein. So I want you to talk a little bit about 
in terms of estrogenics as a whole, as a whole, you're like right off the bat in the book, you're just like, here are the two biggest ones for food. It's like soy, flaxseed. Yep. They're a little bit different. Um, so can we just talk about that, yeah. the estrogenic behaviors of soy? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so they did a study in Canada with over 100 food items, like plant foods, all plants, broccoli, chickpeas, whatever the hell. And all of them were under 1,000 units of estrogen. Okay. Phyto, phytoestrogen. I'm just going to use the word units instead of going down that <laughs> right. too, too detailed, but uh, under a thousand units. Um, then they tested like the only ones that were over 1000 were soy and flax. Mm-hmm. And those were both over 100,000. That's crazy. Like it's night and day. It's not even like in the same city. You know what I mean? It's like in a different country in terms of how much estrogen those two have. Yeah. And flax is unique because, um, your gut bacteria like to break those estrogens down a little bit more. They're called lignans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one can be, if you've got really good gut bacteria, you can kind of get away with flax. I'm not a huge fan anyways, because we just have so much estrogen in our culture, but maybe for post-menopausal women or something like that, there's a use. Mm-hmm. But even that, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical and we can go into, but the thing, the other thing about flax, obviously it has omega-3, right? Yeah. And it's got CBD. Right. Those are both beneficial. So then you can kind of argue that you're offsetting some of the estrogen issues. Yeah. But soy, there's none of the CBD. There's none of the other stuff. It's just pure marketing for the most part to say that it's beneficial. And the really important thing to understand with these, and I didn't go into this in my book, but my book is a little simpler. You mm-hmm. know, and this is a little bit technical, but with testosterone, there's only one receptor. It's called the androgen receptor. So when you take testosterone, it goes through your blood, boom, it sticks to the receptor, the androgen receptor, and gets taken in mm-hmm. um, and, and then acts on your body. But estrogen, there's two receptors. There's alpha, there's estrogen receptor alpha and estrogen receptor beta. So that complicates things, right? Because there's three estrogens. There's estrone, there's estriol, and estro- estradiol. So you got three different estrogens, and then you've got two different receptors. So you can imagine like how messy that gets really quick in the research because exponential. Yeah, because most people, they're just looking at one of the receptors or they're just looking at one of the estrogens, you know, or they're comparing soy with one of the estrogens instead of the other one. And there's all this debate, right? Like if you look up studies on estrone, some studies will say it's a weak estrogen. It's well established that it's a weak estrogen. And then another study will say estrone is a strong estrogen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like literally people argue with this and they, they state these things as if they're well-known facts, but there's a lot of messiness in that research. Wow. Um, but the point is there's two receptors and that's the most important part. There's estrogen receptor alpha and estrogen receptor beta, alpha and beta. So when you've got estrogen in your body, it can either bind alpha or it can bind beta. Alpha most of the time is problematic, like outside of development when you're in a fetal state and all this stuff. And you're, you know, the alpha receptor most of the time is bad because it increases breast cancer. It increases prostate cancer. So you got the men, you got the women, and it's, there's a lot of other health issues associated with activating, overactivating the estrogen receptor. Mm-hmm. And of course, you go through these artificial estrogens that I talk about in my book, and you'll see if you really dig into the research. Again, I don't get that technical in my book because yeah. you know I'm trying to make it so just normal people can read it. But of course, but these are all alpha activators. They're all causing health problems. Beta actually can be protective against breast cancer and protective against prostate cancer. So some beta activation is good. Not too much. You don't want to go crazy with it. But a lot of the times when these drug companies are looking for drugs against breast cancer or to, you know, like to cure breast cancer or to 
hear prostate cancer, they're looking for something that only activates the beta receptor and shuts off the alpha. Mm, okay. And the interesting thing is like soy, people debate about, they used to debate and say like soy only activates the alpha receptor. In fact, that's what Michael Greger said. He's a vegan. He makes, he made this YouTube video basically saying soy is good because it only activates the estrogen receptor alpha. And most people don't even know what that means. So it like, doesn't have that much impact on the culture, but he's saying soy is good. He's a medical doctor. People believe him. It sounds sciencey. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the study that he shows in that exact video, I looked it up and it's got basically two experiments. One of them they did with a certain type of breast cancer cell and the other one they did with a different type of breast cancer cell. Mm -hmm. So it's like figure one and figure two in that paper. Figure one showed, like Michael Greger says, soy increased beta activation of the estrogen receptor, right? So it seems like, oh yeah, that's good. It didn't increase the alpha receptor. But then figure two showed in this other type of cell and increased the alpha receptor and not the beta. It was like the total opposite. So in that, in that same paper that he was citing, it was like there was clearly no conclusion because <laughs> right. the two different cells that they tested, they took cells out of people, tested them, and they gave totally opposite results. Yeah. So in my mind, like if you look at enough research, you start to realize like if anything, soy activates both receptors and it, and it can be confusing based on the individual and their genetics and how much estrogen receptor alpha they have versus beta. It's just too risky. Yeah. You know? It's not even a good, it's not even good for postmenopausal women. Like if you want to do something in your postmenopause and some plant extract or something, use licorice root because that one is very good for beta activation and almost no estrogen act alpha activation. Okay. But again, that's like super in the weeds, but I know you appreciate that. because Yeah, that's a great you, tip. You've read my book and this is kind of going a step beyond it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, the soy and flax thing, a lot of it rides on you having good enough gut bacteria to break those estrogens down. And that's a huge right. assumption today, which I wouldn't assume for anybody these days. It's a huge assumption. You, you've changed a lot of things for me, man. So my, my company, Clovis, actually started with a product first, is a, a powdered superfood I made called the Perfect Paleo Powder. And then I went on to, you know, as I got credentials as in nutrition and started helping people with coaching and things like that. Um, but since Estrogeneration, I have flaxseed uh, powder is in my formula. That's mm -hmm. coming out. I'm actually making a new version of the product right now. And then just little things like making sure if I'm going to be in a plastic container, like I'm going to be in a number five yeah. container in terms of recycling code and everything. I mean, at, nice. I'm telling you genuinely, like you changed the formula of my flagship product. I was like, wait, that's awesome. because 99.9% .9 of people come to me they're obese. Their metabolism is just wrecked right. at this point. So right. to make some kind of assumption like, hey, flax is probably good for them. Boy, you know, that's risky. not, yeah. it's risky. Yeah. yeah. And you have the, the omega-3 thing. It's like, okay, yeah, but it's not the essential omega-3s that you're dealing with anyway. So you have the right. conversion issue and all that. It's, yeah. it's like you said, is the, the risk versus reward. And yeah. particularly with soy, I think the risk versus reward is astronomically lopsided. And then I get like fighting mad when it comes to like, you mentioned in your book, like soy infant formula and yeah. stuff like that. I, I can't wrap my brain around that, you know? Yeah. It's purely financial interest and it's not health interest. It's motivated by money and not people's actual real life health. And, and they've managed to convince people. That's the problem. The, the irony is for some reason, like you don't have to be a vegan and eat soy. You can be a vegan and totally avoid soy. <laughs> like yeah, it's for sure, it's right? not like it's part of the, like you have to sign some religious document that says if you're a vegan, you have to love soy. But, it's, but, but it seems that way, right? Like it every does. vegan you have ever talked to, they're massive soy fans and everything yeah. they're eating 
like three times a day they were eating soy. And, right, right. And that starts to beat down their health eventually. It takes a few years most of the time, depending on how your genetics can handle it. But it's mm-hmm. it's gonna it it gets you. You know, people. You got to be careful about the. You know, if you're a vegan and you're listening to this, you know, like don't be too dogmatic and don't be yelling at people because two years from now you're going to be shifting and you're going to apologize you're going to have to apologize for all that absolutely it catches up with you for sure and i don't know if you've seen this with your consulting company i know with me i've actually had many vegans at this point come to me and change like hey i want to explore this eating meat thing they come into clovis and i'm telling you man like the hardest cases of human health to untangle are ex-vegans in my opinion like hands down yeah, all that epigenetic stuff. I just, it's the digestive stuff, you know? Yeah, 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 you really can mess up. I mean, your digestive system is just full of stem cells, mm-hmm. and those ones definitely get, you know, wrecked with the epigenetic changes, and that can last decades, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And of course, with the glyphosate, too, and all the herbicides. I mean, glyphosate is the number one, world's number one antibiotic, you know? It definitely, it'll mess up your gut bacteria, so. yeah. You know, that's not helping anybody either. <laughs> I have a quick question. I can't remember if it was in your book. Do we do taxpayer dollars subsidize soy the way we do corn? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about the way we do corn because the corn has gotten into the petroleum industry, but yeah, yeah. it definitely subsidizes. I'm not sure of the extent anymore. Okay. Yeah. Corn is like 27, I think it's 27 billion a year is, is going to corn right now just from taxpayers. I don't know what soy is, but it's. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, 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 it's too bad too because there's so much more risk in growing good, healthy foods, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should be the other way around. It should be like, well, if you're going to grow these, you know, these high volume, high yield, low nutrition foods, right? Yeah, um, you know, it, it should be more risky to do that, but. Of is course. what it is. And that's the the sacred cow project with Diana Rogers and Rob. Why why I, I got behind it instantly. I was like, I'm gonna write you a check right now. <laughs> it's nice. just re- nice. regenerative regenerative agriculture. Like we have to teach the world yeah. about it. But yeah, yeah. So the, the other um the other question I have for for parents really in this too, because mm-hmm. like the soy thing is really tricky. I have had personal friends of mine because I'm 33 now. So like my friends back home are popping out all these babies. And like one of my buddy's babies had a, a dairy allergy. Mm-hmm. So the first thing the doctor said is like, you need to switch to a soy formula. Oh, so yeah. luckily they knew me. We talked about it. They actually, I think they ended up getting a new doctor because of that recommendation and everything. So it went well there, but there's so much to untangle there, particularly for parents. And one disturbing thing I want to touch on is there's a lot of people in Clovis and I get there's a lot of people all over the world that are this way now that are like huge fans of like, you know, naturopaths and like essential oils and holistic mm-hmm. medicine and all that. But mm-hmm. then I see, you know, there's a lot of mamas out there that are like curing ear infections and sore throats and stuff with essential oils. But and they're like all on board with estrogeneration and I'm telling them about your book and everything. They're all on board until I tell them about <laughs> lavender, right. dude, you would think I like punched their kid in the face. Like they just, <laughs> they get so defeated. They're like, I have lavender and everything. I sniff it right. before bed every night. You know, right. can you talk right. about lavender and kids? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how paleo is it to like extract lavender essential oil? Like, <laughs> right. a, like a thousand times the concentration and then put it on all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's not something our ancestors did. And you know, at a reasonable dose you know, it's probably fine. And once in a while, it's certainly fine, but it's going to, it acts like estrogen. I mean, there's pretty clear evidence in the scientific research that I, I always get pushback on this one too. That's why I'm kind of laughing because yeah. I'm, I'm doing a book club, uh, 
I think it's next week in the Twin Cities in Minnesota for a group of people. And that's the big, that's the big concern there is they're like, yeah. oh, what about lavender? I see it on the Facebook page that they have. They're all arguing about lavender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, they're religious, man. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, first of all, if you're that obsessed with lavender, just go ahead and have your lavender and just get right. everything else and you're doing 90% of it, right? But Or maybe whatever, you're, you're, you're still winning if you, you know, get ahead of some of these other ones. Yeah. But the thing that people tell me is they're like, well, my version of lavender is good, right? Like my version yeah, right. is, is properly purified or whatever. But the thing is, like, you could pretty much say that about anything. If you're going to go that route, you're going to say like, well, this study with protein powder, whey protein or whatever, isn't my version of whey protein. So I don't really trust that site. You can pretty much literally void every single study out there. If you're going to take that approach. Of course. And, and, you know, like, Obviously, there is issues if you've got some kind of a, you know, like some kind of a adultery in your product. But the, they've had multiple studies with lavender essential oil. They use 100% pure lavender essential oil, um, and there's different brands that these different studies have done. It's not like all the studies from all these different labs are using the exact same product. They're using different brands and different products. Okay, and they're all finding that it acts like estrogen. I mean, that's yeah. the key. And it is anti-inflammatory, so it does have benefits, but it's like, it's a, it's a yin-yang, right? It's like, do you want some of those? There's other things that are anti-inflammatory that don't bring the estrogen along sure, with sure. for the ride. So you'd, pro you'd probably be better off to do that in my mind. But if you're, like I say, if you're super stuck on the lavender thing, you know, more power to you if you're avoiding all the other ones. Yeah, I agree. I guess the thing that I wanted to chat about was you had one Instagram post, man, like a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was super disturbing. It was like kids, the man boobs. right? Yeah, like little boys like developing man boobs from yeah. lavender products, right? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's funny, I made a mistake on that post because I, I, I mean, that, that's absolutely true. That was like a clinical medical doctor who sees this all the time. And it's pretty common if you know doctors who actually work in this field. Okay. Um, the study, for example, they show one of the studies in the New England Journal of Medicine, they had kids that were getting breast development, right? They were going into puberty at like one year old. Wow. And then they pulled the lavender out of all their products and then their breasts like went away. It literally reversed and then they went back to normal. Like magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, obviously those people kind of have special genetic issues where they're not clearing estrogen as well as other people. And you're not mm -hmm. going to exceed that most of And that's one of the things I get a lot of times it's like, well, my kid didn't grow boobs when we did that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, but he's still getting estrogen, right? right? Like, yeah, he's not getting on the far extreme of that scale, but he's, it's like how much estrogen are you, you trying to walk that line, you know, and push him in the estrogen. Right. Um, you know, like, <laughs> So you don't want him swimming in estrogen just because his genetics can deal with it pretty well. Right. But yeah, that the, the mistake I made with that picture is I put the picture up, which is actually from the clinical journal and all of this. I think I put three pictures up. Yeah. But then I also copy and pasted a bottle of lavender shampoo on there just to like make it obvious, like this is lavender. But the picture I chose from Google is literally like dog shampoo. If you read it really close, if you like zoom way in and you look at it, it's like lav it just says the word lavender really big. And that's why yeah. I picked it and I just slapped it on there and then posted it. Yeah, yeah. But all of these people are like, what the hell is this? It's dog shampoo. <laughs> Like, I'm like, yeah, but it's just a picture. And I got yeah. I got so much pushback. And it's like, well, I can't pull the picture now because I got all this great, like, discussion people are talking about. It. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
you know, I don't want to start over from zero likes and then like, who knows if anybody's going to see it. Cause it's a really important image to get out there for just, just because it's powerful. The pictures were scary, man. I was like, I, yeah. at first I was, I was almost like, what's wrong with Instagram? Like, this is a disturbing <laughs> picture. I was like, wait, these are children. I was like, child what? porn. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what the hell is this? You know, but that's so social media too, though. It's just like, oh, we're going to pick apart the dog shampoo to completely ignore <laughs> this valid point that you have made this amazing post. But yeah, it's, it's really scary, man. I was thinking about it. Um, just kind of the direction to take this conversation in, but I think that it leads right into it with that, with, with the man boobs and these kids and just the, um, and we talked about it a little bit with reference ranges. So another disturbing thing that was in your book was you talked about early onset puberty. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. I just want to make sure parents are aware of this, like how drastic this is and the craziness of the mainstream wanting to lower the normal age or the lower reference ranges. Can we dig into that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I cite the paper, the clinical paper in my, in my book, of course. And it's basically uh, doctors now they're proposing. So they've done this with testosterone already. I mean, the normal range has just dropped and dropped and dropped because as a culture, our testosterone has dropped and dropped. And dropped. So a lot of people just stepping back for a minute from your question and going to testosterone. Um, a lot of people you know, they talk about how your, your testosterone is the age of, it's like the equivalent of an 80 year olds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They say like, as you age, it goes down. So that's pretty normal. Now that you're 60, your testosterone is in the tank, but that's pretty normal. You get that a lot, but they've done a giant. So there's a lot of studies that show that back in the eighties and nineties, but they were smaller groups of people. They're like 20 people, 50 people, whatever. Okay. And they've done studies now with like thousands of people, like literally 5,000 plus people. And they show that as you age, your testosterone does not go down. Wow. Like it, it, of course, spikes up in your 20s or when, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever. And it goes down a little bit and then it stays level for the rest of your freaking life. Wow. Now, your free testosterone does go down a little bit. So that's a valid point if people actually distinguish total versus free, but your total doesn't go down as you age. The problem is, as a culture, everybody's testosterone is going down, even the 20 year olds right now. Yeah. So, of course, the 80-year-olds have gone down in the last 20 years because everybody's gone down, right? right. So that's throwing on off a little bit. But, um, you know, I did a YouTube video on this, and I pulled it because I did such a poor job of explaining this. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's a really clear study. It's amazing. Eventually, I'll get around to doing another YouTube video. I'm kind of renovating my basement right now, which is my YouTube studio. Nice. Um, so I've done a really pathetic job of putting out <laughs> content. And I'm just busy as hell, right? But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm booked right now. Right now it is October for people that, you know, just want some reference, but I'm booked till Christmas right now with DNA consults. That's how long my waiting list is. Wow. So I've had to take on like some DNA coaches and train them in and basically say, look, I've got too many clients. I need help with this. Yeah. yeah. And, and so like shooting YouTube videos is, is kind of far fetched right now, as busy as I am with four kids and I'm working full time at Mayo Clinic and all this other stuff. Wow. But, um, the point is your testosterone doesn't drop as you age, right? It's just everybody's is lowering. So what they've done because of that is they've lowered the, the, the whole range. They've just taken it and said, okay, 350 is no longer the bottom of the barrel. Let's drop it to 300. Oh, and now there's so many people coming in around 280, whatever. Let's just drop it to 250. That's what they've done. They've, they've crept down over and over. 
in the last 20 years. And they're doing the exact same thing with puberty. And that's what I was pointing out in my book is that they're writing medical journals now, articles, medical doctors, and they're arguing that we should need to lower the normal range of puberty because it's no longer, it's, it's so normal now that eight year olds mm. are coming into puberty, nine year old girls, this kind of thing, especially the girls Ugh. that uh, they're trying to lower it, which I think is perverse, right? It's absolutely perverse. Rather than figuring out the real problem and, and addressing the problem, yeah. And the pro- part of the problem is these doctors don't realize it. They just don't know, right? They're not educated in, in these artificial estrogen chemicals. They think it's just because, actually, I don't know what the hell they think, to be honest. Yeah, that's the they, thing. Just, they just recognize that it's happening and they're saying, well, let's move it down. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around it too because when you start thinking about it, like lowering the age for, I mean, they, they do this with everything too though. It's like, you know, doctors did it so they could prescribe more statin drugs. They lowered the yeah. number for yeah. high cholesterol. Vitamin D, like you talk about, they've done it, testosterone, they've done it. But with this kid thing, it just sounds like diabolical. Like, what are you doing here? And I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around. It just seems like there's like common sense has completely gone out the window. Like, how do you justify this? Yeah, I don't. I don't try to. I, I, I totally disagree with that. I think it's crazy, just like you do. I mean, yeah. But, but yeah, that's the culture we live in. I mean, these scientists, whew, you know, some of them are pretty wacky. <laughs> they yeah, have a lot of yeah. influence, you know. Like I said, the guy that that coconut oil story is a perfect example, right? Like, right. It's these same guys. It's amazing, you know. There's this anti-aging doctor or scientist who was on Joe Rogan's podcast a couple times, and he's pretty mm-hmm. famous and sure as hell like the last episode he was on i was super disappointed because it he came out that he's taken statins yeah he's not exercise he's never exercised like exercises once a week you know like just on and on he he his sleep is his pr- pretty crappy i mean it, it was a bunch of things and it's like appalling when you pay attention to that and most scientists are like that to be honest they just don't even care about their health and they're trying to find the easy way out and yeah it's not a real good culture of people that you want to look up to from from the perspective of optimizing your own health right oh okay. like they're doing good studies in like real niche areas but man yeah. they're not healthy people yeah it's like thanks for you know telling me about nmr and nmn this is super fascinating i like hearing exactly. these studies of worms <laughs> whose lives like i read his whole book you know so i don't want to yeah, like yeah. just tear the guy apart exactly. but i read the book and was stupid disappointed yeah i mean when listening yeah. to him talk about nutrition makes me want to put my head through a wall I mean, he's literally like, yeah. don't eat like a lion, eat like a rabbit. Your plate should be mostly plants. And we, it's, it's, and what I love is he uses words like this where he's like, it is definitive, irrefutable oh across gosh. the board. Saturated right. fat is dangerous. And you're like, right. no, that's not, I, I don't know. I could rant on that forever. I had the same conversation about the same guy with, with Paul Saladino the other day. We were just like, what the hell is happening here? Right. He's taking, he's taking Ambien. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. he loves tofu. He's talking about how he wishes he ate more tofu. <laughs> he right. just doesn't have the, doesn't have the discipline. <laughs> <laughs> Your body's no, talking to you, brother. He's like, come on, man. But what's funny too, what, what also helps a lot of these scientists is, well, there's two things that I think about, and this is, totally off topic and your listeners probably going to hate me for just going off this, this, this rant, but I won't, but it's, but it's, it's very, I, I personally think number one, scientists like myself, we're literally standing up most of the day, walking around doing experiments. Mm-hmm. So we have this huge advantage because we're not that sedentary. True. So if we were sedentary, we'd be, you know, fat as shit and we'd be unhealthy as shit, right? Because our, our most scientists have crappy diets and they're not paying attention and they've got all these wacky ideas about what good diets are. Yeah. 
So they're not that tuned in, but they're getting away with a little bit more because they are up walking around a lot. The other thing about it is it's a difficult process to become a scientist, right? Like most Americans are not getting their PhD in science or even going to med school, to be honest. I mean, it's a difficult, tough process. I mean, my brother's a surgeon, you know, a lot of nights you can't sleep, you know, like you're up half the night studying or then you're doing surgeries or whatever. And science, and, and even like a biochemist like myself doing a PhD in biochemistry, it's challenging. If you've ever taken like organic chemistry in college or biochemistry in college, you realize like this is not something you want to do for five more years. Most people have that common sense built in. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what ends up happening is the subjects of science oftentimes pre-select healthy people. Okay. Right? Like in other words... If you're somebody who's got really good genetics and you can kind of get away with doing a lot of unhealthy things and still kind of, you know, maintain the semblance of good health, Mm. you're not necessarily that healthy, right? Right, right. But but you're getting away with a lot more. Then you become a doctor or scientist. A lot of the other guys get dropped. They drop out. They get weeded out. And I think that's a big part of it. There's actually some natural selection that occurs based on your genetics. Now, again, this is just totally like my own wacky theory yeah leave it but but i really think those two aspects just being running around the halls like the doctors are always doing and the scientists are always doing and then just having good genetics to start with because that allowed you to get that far along in that academic process is probably a big factor of why they kind of scoff at good diets and they think Mm. like oh that doesn't really make that much difference like yeah that's because you can get away with a lot of stuff yeah, I think that's super intriguing, man, because I actually I, I harp on this quite a bit with my clients that come in, particularly when they come to me like they're, you know, mid, they're in their middle age and they're obese or things like this. And they're looking to like Jocko Willink and David Goggins <laughs> for advice. They're like, I'm going to do what they do. I'm like, listen, man, some people can sleep four hours a night like Jocko. I am not one of them. If I tried to sleep four hours a night and make it through med school or something, I'd be like, nope, I quit. I'm done with this. I'm ringing the bell for the Navy SEALs. Like, nope, I'm done with buds. Thank you. Right. You know, I, I think that's a totally legit point to make. Yeah, and, and it's it's too bad because, like I said, those are the people that are leading the – they're kind of forming the conversation around these topics in our society, and they're the ones that are respected. And it's very few and far between the people that – you know, that kind of rise above that. When I, when I do DNA consulting, um, I sometimes do spouses, you know, I do whole families and, and it's really funny because sometimes I'll come across like a husband who has just crappy detox genes and he needs, you know, he's real sensitive to all these chemicals and this and that. And his wife is just like immaculate. Yeah. And then, and then they're always like, Oh, that's why you always think like these chemicals are terrible and you always feel like crap when you're exposed to these chemicals or whatever. It's so confirming because it was hard for the wife to empathize up until that point when she realized, oh, my husband has crappy genes for detoxing mm-hmm. all these chemicals or vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah. It happens all the time. And even if it's not a spouse, oftentimes I'm just doing a solo consult with somebody. Even, you know, and this is actually applicable to pro athletes too because I do consulting for, I've done NFL players, active NFL players. I've done, you know, a lot of major league baseball pitchers. I do all kind of MMA fighters. And most of those guys just have phenomenal genetics. And that's right. another similar situation where they've gotten that far because their DNA has allowed them to cheat. Like I had one professional uh, pitcher in baseball, Mm -hmm. real famous, and he's super sensitive to soy, right? And I was telling him this in his DNA. He's like, 
Oh yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that. And I'm just looking at his DNA, right? Like reading the crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, if I have soy, I puke. Like I literally get sick and I can't, I can't touch it. I just tell everybody I'm totally allergic. And I'm like, that's probably why you're a professional pitcher. Because if you, <laughs> if you would have been able to eat soy your whole life, right. You probably would have been eating crappy and you wouldn't have been as optimized, but because you couldn't even cheat on it a little bit, it's actually helped you perform. So, you know, it's interesting to do the DNA with people and it, excuse me, it actually confirms, you know, a lot of these people that are supposedly like super sensitive to chemicals. They are, it's, it's a legitimate DNA issue. Of course. Yeah. And it's hard for people that don't have those legitimate issues to empathize sometimes with it. Yeah. The individuality is huge too. Like we know uh, Rob with wired to eat. He talks about this too. Like Rob and his wife, his wife can like eat all the carbs that she wants. He has like 50 grams of carbs. He's like laying in bed, like dead (laughs) to the world. You know, everybody's very, very different. And there's so much genetic variance there. You got me really wanting to read my, my whole crystal ball now. I mean, I've done the, the, so I've done like 23 and me and and all that. Is that all you need? Raw data? Yeah. That's that's all you need. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I've been doing it like since 2010. Um, I did my own and I was like, Oh, this is actually way more powerful than they let on. Like they do these, these health reports, 23 and me in particular, people pay like a hundred extra dollars and get these health reports. And it just tells you what color your eyes are. And it has all this useless information Yeah, and and everybody's disappointed with it. And then they come and do a consult with me and they're like, this is way more than I thought you could tell. Right. Like there's tens of thousands of studies on, and there's 900, like there's 900,000 SNPs that they sequence. That's a lot of information. But the other tricky thing too is I know like I've run my my data through like Rhonda Patrick's free tool. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I ran it through Prometheus. Yeah. And I looked at Prometheus for five minutes and was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> right. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Simplifying it is huge. Trusting the person who's interpreting is huge because now there's a ton of companies propping up that are basically just making these crazy claims. Even Rhonda Patrick is a little borderline on some of the stuff. Like, like I just posted on Instagram about saturated fat, right? She has the I'm constantly hearing like, oh, Rhonda Patrick's free report told me I can't eat saturated right, fat. Right. And it's like, I've looked into that gene and there's like no evidence for that. Like it's it's not even like close to good evidence, wow. you know? Like if you're going to make claims like that, you're going to go into some weird, sketchy territory because there's a lot of studies that kind of make loose, foggy associations between wacky things. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, your hair color is this, so your toes are going to be this or whatever. It's like, (laughs) it doesn't mean anything, right? Like a lot of these associations mean nothing. Yeah. In order to publish research papers, you need a positive finding a lot of times. You can't just say, we didn't find a damn thing. So here's, here's, you know, here's what we looked at. We didn't found nothing. They never do that. They, they hire these professional, I, I, you have to, you hire these professional mathematicians, they're biostaticians, okay. and they just poke around through the numbers until they find something that coral, that is associated, yeah. and then you publish that. It's like, well, we didn't find anything, but we pulled out some random association. It's not very strong, but here's what it is. Wow. Like that happens all the time just to get published. Yeah, yeah. So you have to have the ability to weed through that and say, look, you know, that's pretty, let's, let's make a cutoff and say like, if it's not a twofold increased risk for something, let's just totally ignore, right? You have to have some, you have to have some, some ability to pitch out and put in the trash, all of that useless extra information, which is almost overwhelming, like you said. Yeah. And then be able to recognize the stuff that's actually meaningful and valuable, which hopefully that's what I try and do. You know, I can't say I'm perfect. Sure. sure. I'm always, I'm always trying to improve, but that's my main goal. I'm going to call you at Christmas time, bro. 
waiting list is down. Yeah. Well, the other big thing I wanted to talk about is um, I, with, with obviously I'm far more familiar with Clovis, my company than you are. Um, but just to give you an idea over right now, I think it's down to 75% at this point, but for a long time, 85% of my entire audience was female and female between the ages of like 24 and 48. So I have people that come to me all the time that are in their twenties, their thirties, maybe my age, like, you know, borderline millennials, whatever, like the cutoff there. And they're like, oh yeah, I've been on birth control since I was 13, because I used to get headaches right. and my doctor put me on it. And right. I'm like, what? Or even like, dude, I tell the story all the time. She doesn't care at all. Like my little sister is gay. And she was like two days late on one period and boom, birth control prescription, like right there. And I, oh. I taught, she's not on it anymore. Thank God. And we had a big conversation about it or whatever, but it's just such a ridiculous thing. So I just want to give, cause I know you have a strong stance on this. So I just want to like, what would you say to the listeners either currently on birth control or considering birth control? Oh yeah, man. I mean, get off of it. That's definitely <laughs> yeah. the, the approach I take. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not worth messing up your health, you know, it's just not. And I mean, I talked to so many people, you, you wouldn't believe the emails I get, you know, like all this stuff that comes out of it. And most people, you know, they, they're looking at the studies, right. And they're trying to figure out if it's good or bad based on a few, some of these studies and the studies, they kind of, they're, they're significant problems, right? Like I mentioned in my book, suicide rates increase with birth control users, right? Like there's absolutely findings, huge problems. Yeah. And breast cancer increases. And of course the doctors, what they'll tell you is that the ovarian cancer decreases, like I mentioned in my book, but it's like 0.05, it's 0.5% of a decrease. But then with breast cancer, you get like a 2% increase or something like that. Like it's like the, the risk totally outweighs the, again, lopsided, the supposed protection. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody ever mentions these, those issues. And then the other aspect of it in my mind is we're so saturated with all these other estrogen chemicals right? that it's a bigger problem now than it's ever been. And it's passed on to the next generation, which no studies have really done a good job with birth control. They do it in animals, like absolutely with the fish studies, which I mentioned in like chapter nine of my book towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's clear that if you're exposing fish to birth control or frogs or whatever animal you want to study, I mean, it's even some of the mammals, if they do the study, there's sometimes there's not an effect in the immediate generation because they make these drugs to try and make sure there is no effect. And that's good. I like that. But then there's an effect in the next generation. That's almost worse because nobody thinks there's a problem. Right. Right. And if you're passing a problem on and these estrogens, and again, I didn't mention this in my book, but you're going to really like this, right? Because it's, it's worth mentioning. I probably should have said this in my book. Maybe I, Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but inside a cell, right? Like a cell has like a pillowcase, right? It has a membrane, it has a bilayer. So just think of a ball, it's got a, a, a pillow, think of a pillowcase. Okay. But most people don't realize inside the cell where the DNA is, there's another pillowcase, there's another membrane, there's another bilayer. Most people don't realize the DNA is like a cell inside of a cell. It's protected in its own right. And when estrogen chemicals come into a cell, you know, a lot of hormones go into a cell. It's not that big. It's not that shocking that a hormone can get into a cell or BPA or atrazine or all these artificial estrogen chemicals. It's not that shocking. Mm-hmm. But what is really unusual about estrogen, not only does it go into the cell and testosterone, by the way, the sex hormones, they go into the cell. They also go into the DNA. They go through that membrane. And that membrane is a lot tougher. It's more locked down because 
we're talking about DNA. You got to protect the hell out of your DNA, right? Because you don't yeah. want that to get all screwed up. Nothing, nothing should be going in there, but these sex hormones do. That's one of the reasons they're so uh, impactful. Like if you take testosterone, you're a bodybuilder, right? Like you're going to notice there's a big difference, right? Yeah. Because these hormones have a big difference. It's not just like a minor little thing. So they go into your DNA, these artificial estrogens, and that's how they modify the, the DNA. And that gets passed on to the next generation. And so, that is epigenetics that you're talking about now. Exactly. Epigenetic yes. changes. Yeah. Okay. And, and the thing that was super interesting, again, not in my book and because it's too technical, but when you change the epigenetics a lot, the most of the changes happen on the letter C on the DNA. They have A, T, okay. G, and C of four letters of DNA code. Mm-hmm. And one of them is letter C. Um, and almost like, I would say like 60 to 80% of DNA mutations happen on that same letter. Okay. So there's actually, Michael Skinner was the one that told me about this in person. There's actually an argument to be made that if you change the epigenetics enough, it literally will cause a DNA mutation, actually give you a DNA mutation, which is hundreds of generations long, right? So you're changing, initially, you're just changing a couple generations and you're hurting like your kids and your grandkids and whatever in their health. Yeah, yeah. But then you start to actually impact dozens of generations if you actually make a dna change and again that's not super well established but i think it's legit i've seen the research on that and that's yeah again too technical for my book and maybe most of your listeners aren't even quite grasping the implication there but right it's it's a the point is when you've got something going into the nucleus going into the dna and changing it including birth control right Mm -hmm. then true man you want to avoid that you want to be cautious with that it's not a good idea. Well, I love that you said it because one, I'm, I am not a PhD biochemist, <laughs> but I, I do these, a lot of the live videos I do these ask me anything. And mm-hmm. inevitably it came up uh, my, my stance on vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, it, it's just this thing, in my opinion, this is, this is the topic that we should be talking about in terms of transgenerational epigenetics, because you have these systems where, you know, my dad in 1959 was vaccinated as well, and his little baby immune system seemed to handle it well. If you really just look at what's happening here from a common sense standpoint, it's generation after generation. We're more and more made of glass. Our immune systems are destroyed. Right now, they're testing 200-plus chemicals in the umbilical cords of babies being born. Yeah, you know, so it's artificial, like never found in nature chemicals too. It's not like, yes, it's not like creatine. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, exactly. It's like, it's stuff that our bodies have never seen before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like these babies have abnormal, abnormal vitamin D, you know, it's like, no, there's, this is crazy. And that's, so you can be pro anti-vaccination, whatever. It's just a matter of you're putting a substance into a child and hoping that their immune system can handle it but they're being born at a disadvantage right off the bat from probably three, four generations ago now, you know, like just depending when agriculture began and how much wheat they were taking in and crops. And obviously, you know, 200 years ago, we weren't dealing with glyphosate or anything, but it's just getting worse and worse. It it, it makes perfect sense to me that there's hockey stick growth in ADD, autism, ADHD, all these things, you know? Yeah. I've, I've uh, eaten lunch with three different Nobel prize winners. Whoa. And uh, yeah. And I always ask them the same thing I, when I eat lunch with really interesting scientists, um, whether they've won Nobels or not. But, this, <laughs> but in particular, I'm thinking of these three. I've specifically gone out of my way to ask them, okay, what are the next, what's the next big thing in science? Like, give me like three areas that are going to be like the future of science, right? Epigenetics, for example, is often cited, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
or another question is like, what are the, the areas that we really don't know anything about? We're just barely scratching the surface and they're just going to blow up. Right. That's another way of putting the same question. Mm-hmm. Every, every single one of them, they usually, like I say, they'll, they'll name one, two or three somewhere. Usually I try and get them to say like three things. Yeah. Just for my own kind of directions and thought every single one of them talk about the immune system. Like we know nothing about the immune system. We think yeah. we do, but it's super, super complicated. We're barely scratching the surface. I mean, the fact that we know so little about the immune system and we pretend like if you talk to vaccine scientists, all they know about is like how to make a vaccine or like, mm-hmm. or their mm-hmm. one limited little aspect of it, like a part of a vaccine and they're super expert on or whatever, but they don't really know the big picture. Just like most of them don't know anything about health. Right. If they're being honest, but most of the time they won't admit to that. It's the same with the immune. If you ask them about the immune system, they'll be like, oh, we've totally, it's all, it's exactly what you were saying with that. Well, I guess we were off the air when you were talking about that book and yeah, and this scientist who is on Joe Rogan's podcast. But, you know, this idea that like, oh, it's all super well established. It's all, yes. what, what was the word that you said? Like it's- He says it's irrefutable. It's irrefutable, like right? Like it's, yeah, like, yeah, like, it's like, oh, we know everything about the immune system. This is all irrefutable. And it, But if you talk to these Nobel Prize winners, and again, they don't have to worry about their careers. They've got plenty of money and speaking events and all this stuff up the wazoo and all this money yeah, yeah. From, from whatever they're doing. They'll tell you, honestly, we know nothing about the immune system. So how risky is that? You know, that's Absolutely. A, that's a big risk to try and- to try and say that we know everything and it's all perfect. It's, it's not true. No. And that same scientist too, man. Uh, I don't know if you read his whole book, but in the book, he has a whole section. that's like, basically he's like, if you are an anti-vaxxer, like you're a complete piece of shit. That's yeah, what I, mean, he says. It's I like, was going to get his book. I was going to get his book. And then after <laughs> I heard that, after I heard he's taking Ambien and he's taking, uh, I know. And he's, and he's taking statins and all sorts of stuff. I was like, yeah, no. No. And that's what he does. He presents it as if it's decided. And that's, that's what, uh, you know, uh, Paul Saldino and I, we hit it off really quick when we started talking. What I love is he's just got this focus on immunology. He's like, look, man, there's plenty of people running around telling you to take antioxidant supplement XYZ and take these polyphenols and all these things. And he's like, at the end of the day, very few people know much about immunology in general, you know, so we don't know the downstream. Yeah. And neurology. I think, I think those are the two big fields, immunology and neurology. Okay. And the reason for that, like the, studying the brain and studying the immune system, the reason those are such difficult fields, again, going back to the Nobel Prize winners, that neurology is another big one that they always mm. bring up. Like as a field, right? Like, you know, that's one of these ones, we, these fields we just know nothing about. We're barely scratching the surface. And the reason for that, I like to use the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, if you know what that is. It's basically like, when you try and study, and of course you've seen Breaking Bad, so you probably know yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. the word Heisenberg at least. Yeah. But when you're studying an atom, you know, there's an atom going, like imagine the Red Sox stadium. If you put a pea on the pitcher's mound, like a piece of food, like a bean, a pea, whatever it's for. Sure. On the pitcher's mound, imagine uh, the electron is going around the whole outside of the stadium. That's how far away an electron is from the nucleus of an atom. Wow. Um, yeah, and if you try and find and locate that atom and you say, okay, I want to study this. Let's find out where it is. As soon as you reach in there with a probe, you hit that electron and it flies to the New York city. Right. Wow. So it's called the Heisenberg uncertainty because the more you try and study it, the more you disrupt it and screw it up. And that's exactly what happens with the brain. As soon as you just start drilling into the brain and taking pieces out or, you know, trying to do manipulations on it, you're actually just studying the screw ups that you're causing. 
Yeah. And you're not really studying the brain. And the same exact thing happens with the immune system more so than anything else. Cause the immune system is super on edge, right? As soon as you start poking around in there and cutting in and putting needles and doing stuff, mm. putting chemicals, whatever you, you trigger all kinds of wackiness and then you end up studying the wackiness and then you try and make conclusions. It's a hard science. It's a difficult yeah, thing to study. Yeah. And that's why, that's why both of those fields are in the infancy. So anybody who says like, we know everything about autism or we know everything about neurology or we know everything about vaccines and the immunology, they're total BS peddlers yeah. and they shouldn't, they shouldn't be trusted. No, no. It's crazy too. I, I told you a bit about this off air. My listeners know this very well, but uh, my niece Savannah, she was born having over 300 seizures a day. Oof, so wow. she's, um, she's still with us. She, she beat all the odds. She was, her life expectancy was less than three years. She's five now. She's still on a G tube. Um, she's hundred percent disabled. She's just considered vegetative, but she has something called KCNQ2, okay. which is a protein malfunction in the brain in the sodium transport chain or something like that. Yeah. And she's one of like 96 living cases in the world. Wow. So over the last five years, I mean, my brother, his wife, all of our, our family and everything, like between like living in the pediatric ICU, going to the Cleveland clinic, talking to the Charlie foundation, talking to these neurologists it, I am certain that this is a, an area of expertise that we really are just scratching the surface on. They, they just, they right. kind of put their hands up like this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, if you're being honest, like I'm saying, it's hard to find people that are being honest these days, especially in the Instagram <laughs> culture, the Twitter culture, at least where everybody's being inflammatory, you know, yeah, and, I, yeah. and, and I, I'm guilty sometimes myself because it's hard to get the word out. It's like, look, these chemicals are terrible. Yeah, like, yeah. It is. It is established. Like I don't get as much kickback as I thought when I wrote the book, I thought I was going to get a lot of kickback from scientists who are saying like, Oh, soy is healthy and this and that. But in most of the people, they close their office door and they're saying like, look, you're totally on. I just don't want to say it publicly. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. But I've had a lot less, almost zero, you know, uh, disagreements with actual scientists on this. And initially I thought it was going to be the total opposite. Yeah. That's well, that's amazing. It's great news. And I, I think the the big thing to, to push the conversation forward and really get people to pay attention. It's like, I find this with, with parents, their parents are like, I want my teenagers to eat healthy, but they won't listen to me. And I'm like, well, don't talk to them about wearing skinny jeans. Talk to them about the fact that, that their face is broken out in acne and they don't want that. Like you need to hit their pain point. So one of the things I want to talk about that, that I thought was amazing in your book is, um, particularly since we're talking about genetics and all this stuff, is um, this idea of the fat switch. And I think oh, it's P-A-R-Y. Yeah, yeah. Is that what? Gamma. That's a Greek letter. Yep. Oh, gamma. Okay. P-P-A-R. Gamma. Yep. 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 P-P-R. Gamma. That's peroxisome proliferator activated uh, response element. Okay. <laughs> in case you needed to know that. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you. Now, PPAR gamma is, uh, it, it is, it's like a master regulator for fat, right? Okay. For your metabolic, for your fat stores. And you describe it like a light switch in the book, like literally on and Exactly, off. exactly. Yeah, yep, yep. So that's one of the reasons, like a lot of people, they get on birth control and their body starts storing, they get fat, you know? Yeah. And most of them don't admit to that, like, but it's amazing how many people pull the plug right away. They get on birth control and then they they realize, oh, I'm getting fat and they stop and then it goes away. <laughs> like they catch it quick enough. And then the doctors don't include them in the studies or whatever, because, mm. you know, they got off of it right away. And obviously they're not going to stay on it if it makes them fatter and fatter and fatter. They're smart enough not to do that, whether it's for a study or not, right? Like you're just not going to do that to yourself. Um, but for some people it's more subtle and it's less obvious, but over time it happens. Right. And some people it's pretty immediate, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, 
all the other chemicals do the same thing. It's a fat, it's a fat switch. I mean, that's what estrogen can do. And the reason for that, and a lot of the, the health issues are similar in this regard. Um, and I do have my wife texting in, in like a minute, but, um, okay. but a lot of these estrogens, I, I do want to get this, this analogy across that when, when a woman is pregnant, naturally her body stores more fat. And that's a good thing. Like that's an adaptation because our ancestors didn't always have access to food. Sure. So fat is the most efficient storage form for energy. So like if you don't have enough food, you want some fat there so you can burn that as energy when you're not eating. Right. And especially when you're pregnant and the fetus is there. So when you're pregnant, your estrogen goes sky high and you store more fat. It's just a natural thing. You flip that fat switch on and that's good. Rock on, you know, you've got, food, you know, I've got energy in case you can't find food. Now, of course, these days we don't have that problem, but we still have the natural fat switch that gets flipped on. Gotcha. The other thing that happens, you get a lot of breast development during pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. And these artificial estrogens oftentimes will bastardize that process and you get breast cancer, right? Or you get man boobs in men or you get early puberty or whatever. Similar like fertility, obviously there's fertility changes, there's infertility with these estrogen chemicals. I mean, just going down the list and thinking of like the natural processes that happen with pregnancy and then how these artificial estrogens mess up those natural processes is a good, is a good way to think through it. Okay. Um, because almost all of the, the health issues, like the depression too, right? Like think of postpartum depression, you throw off your estrogen mm. and you get depression that happens all the time with like, for example, people, children that have higher BPA in their urine have much, much higher levels of depression. Wow. And so there, and there's so many studies like that. You know, the best you can do is associations because you're not going to dose people with BPA. You're not going to inject BPA into them and say, like, let's see if we get depression on this guy. But right. you, you certainly get stuff like that in animals and you can do that and you can see it. But on and on, right? Like all these health issues kind of reflect the natural healthy thing that happens in pregnancy, but it's like a perversion of that. And it's like a twisted, mm. problematic, uh, you know, miss misappropriation of that natural yeah system. it's like serious dysfunction exactly yeah yeah, so. yeah so i know we're coming up on time so the main takeaway that i want to give listeners and everything is you actually give i mean you give a step-by-step approach on what people can do obviously clearing these estrogenic compounds and chemicals out of their house and then you even dig into some really cool fixes in the book things like uh, sauna like i have a near and far infrared sauna in my house that i use every day so nice, that made nice. me super excited i was happy about that <laughs> Um, But I really just want to give people an idea of how can they connect with you? How can they find your work and just learn more about this super important topic? Yeah, thanks. I mean, AJ Consulting Company is kind of my main website. I know it's a terrible URL name (laughs) because you got to actually put the word company in there. You have to say ajconsultingcompany.com. And that came up actually because I used to design viruses for the government. When I was doing Alzheimer's research, I used to create viruses from DNA. And then we would inject them into mouse brains and stuff and try and cure like versions of Alzheimer's in animals. Yeah. So they needed me to make a company to, to be a contractor for the government. So I was like, <laughs> I just put this down on paper, like, oh, AJ Consulting Company, let's just go with that. Like on yeah. the spot, you know, now I'm stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's by far the best way to find everything that I'm doing. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, obviously you're active on Instagram. I'm going to link to all this yeah. in the show notes. You also, man, I, I, I got to give you kudos. You do a great job of, um. you have that page of products that you actually use. Right. I know like you're not affiliated with them or any of that. That's, nope. it's a super useful page. So I'll put all that in the show notes and everything. And, and man, I, I just, 
God, I want to pick your brain for six more hours. I really do. But <laughs> thank you. I know I've taken a lot of your time, man. I appreciate you coming on. No, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, of course. All right, man. So we'll stay in touch. I'll put all your, your stuff in the show notes and we'll get people all the info they need. Thanks, Justin. All right. Thank you. Oh, I got a good thing somewhere, somewhere. But I closed my eyes and lost my way.